0: Look at you all, you were given every worldly reason not to be here this morning, and yet here we are, reading the Word of God. Praise God for you guys, it's so wonderful uh, that you're here, and the reward is that we get to look at this amazing book, not one that's well known, or necessarily deep uh, and uh, vital things that we get to learn about God, and things that we need to fight for uh, when when it comes to the Christian faith. If um, it would be handy to know these things, um, in your bulletins you would receive the outline um, if, if you'd like to follow along or take notes. If for whatever reason it's helpful to have a transcript of all the things that I'm speaking about up here, you are, are welcome at any time during the talk just to go to that back table and pick up a uh, transcript uh, so that you can uh, follow along as well. Let me pray for us and then we'll get into God's word. Father, thank you so much for the joy of having your word in front of us today. Please teach us, open our hearts, our minds, our ears, and our eyes towards you, that we would see you more clearly and seek to contend for the faith entrusted to us. We ask that Jesus would be glorified in our time together now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want to be a church that is faithful to Jesus, it's always going to involve tension. Because if we want to be a church that is uh, faithful to God, we want everyone in our community around us to hear about the good news of Jesus. It's like you'd want to have a big sign out the front of your church that says, Welcome! Because we want people to come And to hear the good news, we want anyone and everyone to explore the good news about the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. With the hopes that people would put their trust in him. Being faithful to Jesus means being open and sharing your faith. But the tension comes when you make yourselves open is that there is some risk that some would be led astray. You see, if the doors are open, then anyone can enter. And the possibility is that people could come in to our church, people who are looking to harm our church community. In the first four verses of this letter, the Apostle Jude describes this tension. Now, by tradition, Jude is likely the biological younger brother of Jesus, born of Joseph and Mary, Referred to in Mark chapter 6 there, isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas? That's the Jude in view here. And in verses 1 and 2, he describes the reason why the church he's writing to should be full of confidence knowing God's welcome for them. It's the description of any faithful church. Have a look at verse 2. Jude says, they are called by God. That is, we know that God is the one who invites us to come to him. He's the one who washes us clean. God calls and we come to him. That is the direction of Christian salvation. And because God has called us, we know that we are loved. We get to call God our heavenly father. And we are kept we're told in the Bible, we're assured in the Bible that Jesus holds us close and protects us to be with him into eternity. So called, loved and kept. That is the description that Jude is saying to the church that he's writing to. It's the description for Christ church. It's the description for every faithful church throughout history. But in verse 3, it's almost like we see the tension start to play out. Jude is saying... I have to stop talking about the joyful things right now because there is serious danger right in front of you, in the midst of you, inside of your church. Have a look with me at verses 3 and 4. These are kind of the key verses of the book of Jude. It helps us to understand why Jude's written the letter. He says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you, about the salvation that we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. You see, false teachers who want to harm this church have come in and are leading people away from the Christian faith. And Jude pleads with the church to recognize what these men are doing and to contend against them. Just this past uh, week on Wednesday, I was speaking to a pastor of a Chinese church in southwest Sydney. And Pastor Stephen was telling me uh, that his church and other connected Mandarin-speaking churches are currently under attack from a cult known as the Eastern Lightning Cult. Now, my wife Jess and I have heard about this cult, uh, we first heard about it about 15 years ago uh, in China. We had some friends who were working there, and they told us that this cult uh, believes that Jesus has already returned and has come back as a certain woman who needs to be worshipped now as God herself. It might seem ridiculous, but people are being led astray by that teaching. And when our friends were working in China, they told us that Eastern uh, Lightning cult members would try and they would infiltrate a church and they would build trust inside of the church so that they might steer people slowly but surely over to their cult. They would prey upon The fact that many people in China, many Christians in China, are new believers. As you would know, for many years, the government uh, locked out any kind of public religion. And so people just didn't know about Jesus. But then the sanctions were lifted. And tens of millions of people have come to hear about Jesus and to believe in him now. To give you some extent of what God's been doing in that country there are now more Christians in China than there are people who live in Australia. Some uh, predictions are that there'll be more people going to church in China than even in America. They'll become the most churched nation in the world by 2030. So God is doing amazing work. But there are a lot of new believers, genuine believers, whose faith is as small as a mustard seed which makes them vulnerable to confident-sounding Christian, uh, uh, Christian-sounding preachers who could lead their faith astray. The leaders of the Eastern Lightning Cult claim to have visions from God and they perform fake miracles inside of churches, people who pretend to be demon-possessed so that the leaders can come along and heal them in front and people think, wow, their God is really working uh, through those people. They talk down about the ministers of churches. The Eastern Lightning cult is a cult that has grown large, in a sense, by stealing Christians away from the church. It's just evil, isn't it? So malicious. And just in case you thought that we could comfort ourselves by saying, well, that was more than a decade ago. There's in a country over there. The conversation with Pastor Stephen this week. He told me that the same cult is attacking Chinese-speaking Christian churches in our city in 2019. Cult members have secretly slipped in to churches that are welcoming churches. Come on in. And they talk about wanting to hear about Jesus and learn more. But their secret aim is to start to undermine the faith of people. They ask questions to church members, it's really God blessing your life? Don't you feel like there's something missing in your faith, they'll ask. They start to undermine the teaching of the pastors in the churches. They don't seem to have the full spirit of God with them. They're causing people to, to doubt their faith and undermine the authority of the people who've been placed above them. They want people to come and join their cult. And the attacks are so bad that pastors in several of those Chinese Christian churches have formed a WhatsApp group so that they can keep each other informed about incidences in each of their churches so they can tell when there's a new wave of attacks coming. It should distress us to hear these types of stories. It certainly distressed the Apostle Jude and he's writing to this young church because there's great danger for them as well. He doesn't want the church to be passive in the face of these false teachers. He doesn't want them to just hope for the best, that they'll go away. He doesn't want them to be victims. He is urging them to contend for the faith. He's saying that if you're called, loved, and kept by God, that you need to stand up for what you believe and contend for the faith. I reckon that's a great word, contend. I don't know what you think of when you think of contend. But the instant image that comes to my mind is boxing. I don't know if that was the image that came to your mind, but uh, contending's like a boxing match, isn't it? There's a time to, to defend, to stand up, to hold your ground, to be strong. There's a time to attack as well. You might remember that famous movie with Marlon Brando in it on the waterfront. I could have been a contender, he says. Remember this? Well Jude is saying to the church, you need to be contenders. You need to stand up against the false teachers, get into the ring and contend for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've been called, loved and kept, says June, then the gospel has been entrusted to you and you need to fight for it. And the fight is right on their doorstep. There are men within their church who pose great danger. Verse 4, we're told they are perverting the grace of God into a license for immorality. Now, what are these? What is an example of the sort of things these men would have been teaching within the church? Let's do a little exercise. I'll ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask them a series of questions and you just answer them yes or no in your heads. Don't say them out loud. This is your answers, how you would answer these questions. So close your eyes for a second. Here's my first question. Do you think God will mind if you think lustful thoughts? All right, let me ask some more questions now. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin? Do you believe that because of Jesus, your sin is forgiven? Do you believe that Jesus has paid for all of your sins once for all at the cross? That Jesus has paid for all of your past sins? They're forgiven. And that Jesus is even powerful enough to pay for the sin you haven't yet committed. Do you believe this? Well, let me ask you again. Do you think it really matters if you think lustful thoughts? I'll get you to open your eyes now. Can you see how seductive the argument is? It's like the best lies are half-truth. And that's what these godless men are doing. They're saying, you're saved by grace. Your sin doesn't count against you anymore. So if you sin a little... It doesn't matter. They are perverting the grace of God into a license for immorality. And Jude says to this church, you have to stand up and contend against this false teaching. And this has to start with recognizing it. Friends, I hope you would be able to see what the problem is with that kind of rational logic I just gave you then. I mean, when you have a small view of sin, then you only need to have a small view of the one who saves you from sin. If sin only matters a little bit, then you only need a little saviour. If Jesus is just this big, he's not going to be your sovereign and your Lord in your life though, is he? The person who says, thanks for saving me, Jesus. I'm going to now live my life the way I want Well, they're denying the right of Jesus to be Lord in the here and now. And if you change the grace of God into a license for immorality, you are denying Jesus the Lordship. And that's what Jude is saying here. Just a small change to the gospel and you completely change the gospel. It goes from a gospel of salvation into a gospel of condemnation. This then is the mark of the godless teachers in the church. They changed the true gospel and they denied Jesus. And Jude is saying, you need to contend against this for the true faith. I have to tell you, I'm so grateful to God that our faith is based on grace. Grace is such an incredible word for Christians might be some people who are exploring Christianity at the moment you've heard this word but don't know how it it gets used in a Christian sense grace is the unearned gift of forgiveness that God gives to his people because Jesus has died on the cross for our sin the offer of salvation it goes out to every person and Christians believe That if you come to Jesus as a sinner and repent of your sins, then Jesus' death at the cross is sufficient. That he has paid the punishment that is deserved for sin. That we receive eternal life with God because Jesus has forgiven us. A person can at any time, in any place, say sorry to God. And in the name of Jesus, they are forgiven. That is grace. We are brought into a complete relationship with God. And grace is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. Just this last week, I've been doing Christianity Explored with a brother in Christ, a person who's now a brother in Christ. On Tuesday, we did the week on grace. And I could tell. I said, do you believe this? And my great friend, Ash, he said, I believe this. And I said, Do you want to pray the prayer together? Do you want to pray and make this real. Take it and hold it for yourself. And he said, Yeah, I do. It's a very emotional moment. So grateful for that moment. On Tuesday we prayed the prayer together. Our brother Ash, sitting right there in the blue, became a believer on Tuesday this week. Because of God's grace. How precious is He to us now as a brother. How much would we seek to protect such young believers against people who would teach the wrong thing? Also, if Ash was to say, that's great, I'm saved by Jesus now, I can do whatever I want, live whatever way, you'd have to say, well, Ash, you don't understand grace. He doesn't say that, by the way. But if he did. But I reckon that logic is a danger also for people who've been mature in the Christian faith, been Christians for a while as well, that we take Jesus' salvation for granted, that we've been with Jesus so long, we know his salvation, we know we're saved, we know we're forgiven, and perhaps a a mature believer can fall into a place where sin has become a little bit of a habit over a long time, it kind of just gets locked into the way we do our life, and we just now live with sin, it becomes part of our lives. We don't look to deal with it. And maybe we rationalise it by saying, you know what, I'm saved, so I'm forgiven, so it doesn't really matter. We have to listen to Jude's warning here in this passage. He's saying that is the way of these ungodly men. Theirs is, this is the message that they're preaching. We can't fall into this trap because these men, their path is leading to destruction. And anyone who believes the same things as them is heading down that same track as well. And so in verses 5 to 16, Jew gives 11 illustrations of why the Christian church needs to contend. 11 warnings of judgment to punch this point home. It's almost one illustration for every verse. Now we're, going to have, we're not going to have time to be able to get into the background of every one of these stories. And so you might have seen, if you get the weekly email, that this week you received a little cheat sheet of the background of all of the stories in this section in particular. And I'd encourage you, if you get the email, to go back to it as well. If you didn't get the email or you choose not to read it, if you choose not to read it, then um, by grace, because we live by grace, there's a hard copy printed out that will be on that back table on the way out. You could pick that up and uh, read some more of the stories behind this. But in this section, it's a section where it causes the people to have the most questions and the most problems because the stories are so strange. But the book of Jude is very straightforward if we just see what the illustrations are all about. Their point is towards the fact that these godless men are not with Christ and they're headed towards destruction, If you take all of the illustrations to mean just those things, the book of Jude is perfectly simple. Now he's going to use illustrations that are outside the Bible, that's what makes it a bit weird. The angels who are ready for judgment. The story about the archangel Michael and the devil in verse 9. The uh, the book of Enoch, 1 Enoch in verses 14 and 15. I think those things are just an example of a, a Christian minister who's seeking to use stories in the world around them to try and Amplify the gospel so that his hearers can understand. I mean, you might remember that the apostle Paul talks about Greek poetry and Greek poets in Acts 17 as well. The stories themselves, they don't become special because they're in the Bible. We need to read them for what they are. They are illustrations about the judgment that is coming to these godless men who have infiltrated the church. So let's have a look at some of those verses. Jude says, have a look God's history. The disobedient Israelites in verse 5, the rebellious angels in verse 6, the sinful towns of Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 7, and the individual people Cain, Balaam and Korah in verse 11. These are all historical warnings of God's judgment of sin. You can see the pattern that Jude wants us to see. If you reject God, you stand in opposition to God and judgment and condemnation and destruction await such people. Jude's telling us that the false teachers who have infiltrated the church are treading a deadly path. In verse 7, the warnings from history serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire because of what they've done. And Jude goes on, verse 8, he says, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams... These ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority and heap abuse on celestial beings. You see, these godless men speak about their dreams like they're visions from God. And they're sexually sinful as well. And they mouth off at anything and anyone who disagrees with them to try and show they're the ones who have authority, unaccountable authority before God. You see, they claim to have understanding, but they don't know what God wants. In verse 10, they uh, claim to they have no understanding at all. All they comprehend is their base desires the things that Jude says they know by instinct. If they have a sexual urge, they fulfill it. And they say that I'm saved by grace. God has forgiven those sins. These men are wolves in sheep's clothing. They claim to have understanding, but they have none. They claim to have visions and dreams, but they don't know God. They claim to be greater than the common man and in touch with uh, God, but they're no better than the animals. And goes on. In verses 12 to 16, Jude wants the Christians to see the godless men for who they are. They are dangerous fakes. They'll turn up to their love feasts, which are, is just like a big meal that the church would have in which they would serve communion. In there as well. It's supposed to be a feast where you celebrate and praise God for what He's done in Jesus Christ at the cross. Well, these men turn up to these meals, and there's no feelings of hypocrisy, there's no feelings of guilt, no feelings of remorse or repentance. These guys are just pretenders. Jude calls them shepherds who only feed themselves. They look like they're caring for God's flock. So they've even risen up to the point of teaching all the other people as well. They only care for themselves. And Jude goes on to use four illustrations that sum them up. Jude says they're clouds without rain. What a beautiful expression for useless and frustrating. You can imagine a farmer on a farm in a drought conditions like we have now, looks up, sees in the sky a cloud just hovering, moving across over his farm, Is it going to rain? Is it going to rain? And the cloud just moves on past. Oh, how useless and frustrating. Like these men. These men are like autumn trees. Trees that look dead. There's no life in them. And there's no fruit on their vines either. In the same way, these men have no spiritual life in them. They're just pretending to be Christians and they're bearing no fruit for the kingdom of God. What about wild waves? Wild waves, if you've been to a beach, they swell up and they look so impressive and large and they crash down on the beach. But then they recede and all that's left behind is the filth that they've brought in with them. Just like these false teachers. Just like these people. And lastly, they're like wandering stars. Stars are supposed to be set in their place to act as markers so people know their bearings. A wandering star would lead people astray, just like these godless men. And so in verses 14 and 15 and 16, the verdict is in. Jude wants those in the church, those who are called, loved and kept by God, to be in no uncertain terms. The blackest darkness, the full judgment of God is coming on these godless men for their actions. The very Lord that these godless men have claimed that they know and that they teach faithfully, he is coming in judgment on them. And so Jude doesn't pull any punches. The danger is real. He's asking those who are called, loved and kept to see it and to contend against it as well. He's been saying and giving illustration after illustration after illustration of the path that these men are on. The point is from history. So you can know the future of where what's going on. I mean, what happened to the Israelites who rejected God in the desert after being saved from Egypt? Judgment. In fact, I might ask you to even say it. Let me ask you the question. You say the answer. Ready? What happened to the Israelites who rejected God in the desert after being saved from Egypt? What happened to the angels who rebelled against God? I know it's tiring. But Jude is like this, just illustration after illustration. What happened to the angels who rebelled against God? What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah who despised God by their sexual perversion? What happened to Cain who murdered his brother? What happened to Balaam who sold out God for gold and silver? What happened to Korah and the other priests who stood up against God's authority? So what do you think is coming to these godless men, these fakes, These false teachers who are useless and frustrating, who are spiritually dead and bear no fruit, who bring up filthy doctrines and lead people astray. These men who have no understanding, who reason like animals. These men who would change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. What is Jude saying is coming to these men? Judgment. And so we see why Jude wanted to write this letter so urgently. These men are not to be followed. He wants those who are called, loved and kept to stand up and to contend against these evil teachers and their false doctrines. These men face condemnation and anyone that believes them and follows them will face the same punishment as well. And so Jude wants the church to take the warning seriously. The apostles themselves have warned against False teachers, they were going to come. And as Christians in 2019, we're called to see that difference too. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are called, loved and kept by God. And you are asked, commanded here, to contend for a faith that has been entrusted to you. This means recognizing false teaching that denies Jesus, our only sovereign and Lord I asked Pastor Stephen from the Chinese church whether it was okay to talk about the Eastern Lightning cult because I don't want to give a cult more air than it needs. And he said, yes, he's happy. Could you ask your church to pray for ours? And I said we would, and I will at the end of the sermon. And I asked him, do you have any wisdom that you could teach for our church to hear as well? And he said, please pass this on to the members of Christ Church." He said that the people that the Eastern Lightning Cult have had the most success in leading astray are those who are not strong in the faith. And he identified two groups in particular. He said new believers are particularly vulnerable because they just don't know enough yet. And he said, and this is one for us to hear, he said they're also getting people who are not growing in their faith. People who are not committed to learning church doctrine, Christian doctrine, not committed to reading the Bible for themselves and together with others. People who are not contending with their brothers and sisters in their local gathering. He said that some of them are their most welcoming and loving people. They've got a real heart for other people. Pastor Stephen's warning was, just because you're loving of other people, just because you might welcome other people into a church. If you're not growing in your Christian faith, you become vulnerable to false teaching and that is what they're seeing in their churches. So we have a responsibility here at Christ Church to read the Bible and to read it together. That's how we contend together. As a church community, we are to grow in Jesus together. We are to contend together for the faith that has been entrusted for us. If we are growing in maturity, then we are equipping ourselves to be a church that's ready in all circumstances and a church that's ready to be on mission. You know what? It's my privilege to be your servant to lead us in mission together. But to use our language, mission needs maturity. You see, because if we are growing and secure in our relationship with Jesus, we will be ready to share what we know together. And we'll be equipped as a church to be a church that truly welcomes anyone who comes into our doors. I'd only been working here a few months in 2017, when a couple of elders from the Church of Latter-day Saints, that's the Mormons, if you didn't know, they came and visited E.C., They'd been invited by a guy who himself was visiting church at the time. Let me ask you this question. Are they welcome to come and be with us? It was actually a week that Dave was away. Don't worry, Mike Allen and I were there that week, so we had it covered. Let me tell you what we did. At the end of the service, Mike and I went up to Elder Micah, and Elder John, and we invited them to come on outside with us so we could have a bit more of a chat. And they were super polite. They explained that they'd come because they'd been invited by uh, this guy. And we said to them, you are welcome to be here as long as it's just Micah and John who are genuinely seeking after Jesus. You're welcome to come here. But you are not welcome to come here as the elder of a church that we don't even believe is a Christian church. Our people are too precious to get mixed up in false teaching. We shook hands and they left. I want to emphasize, they did nothing wrong. And Mike and I were on our best behavior But the Apostle Jude urges us to contend against those who would change the gospel and not invite them in. We can't mess around. This is the tension of being a faithful church to God. We're talking about China in our sermon today and it reminded me that the Great Wall of China was built as a defensive structure. And when it it was finished, it, it appeared impregnable. But throughout its history... The enemy breached the wall three times. Do you know how they did it? They didn't bust their way through. They didn't climb over the top. They bribed the gatekeepers. They didn't get in by brute force. They got in because the people who were entrusted to guard it let them in. We have to remember that the brick walls of Christchurch are not going to keep out false teaching. It's only going to be faithfully held to when those who have been entrusted with the gospel, that is all of us, together. That we would contend together and hold to what has been given to us to get rid of teaching that denies Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. We are to contend for the faith as a church together. If that seems like a big task, it is. But just wait until next week where we get to see the last verses of the book of Jude. Dan's going to lead us through that time. We're going to see how amazing God is in helping us to be able to contend. Let me pray and with your permission, I'm going to pray for Pastor Stephen and the churches as well. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for giving us your word to us today and thank you for uh, the joy it is that we are reminded that we are called we are loved and kept. We can call you our Heavenly Father because Jesus indeed is our Sovereign and Lord. And we ask, Father, that you would protect us against teaching which does not trust Jesus in that capacity. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters in churches around Sydney and all over the world that are facing attacks from uh, other cults that would seek to seem to be Christian but aren't. We ask, Father, that you would equip those Uh, the members of those church with your gospel, that they would be seeking to grow in uh, love and deepness of knowledge of what Christ has done for them, that they would be equipped to see and hear false teaching and to contend against it. We ask, Father, you would protect these churches, help there to be no one who is led astray by the Eastern lightning cult and their malicious practices. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you might even, change the hearts of those who are in the cult, that they might realise and see the true Jesus and come and be saved as well. We pray for Pastor Stephen, for the church leaders across all of those churches, that they would look after their flock and to continue to protect them and lead them faithfully towards Jesus. And we ask this so that the witness of the Lord Jesus is brighter and louder right across Sydney, that people might come to believe in him and be saved and that you would receive the praise you deserve as our Heavenly Father with more and more voices declaring that Jesus is their King. We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.